0: And she just reached up and took a quick picture down there at her knees where she felt something. And she pulled that picture up and looked at it. And um, as soon as she saw that picture, she remembers nothing until she came to on her family couch in the front room.
1: You are listening to Terra Signals, presented by Normal Paranormal. I am your host, Justin Bedforth. Now if you're interested in UAPs, aka UFOs, you've probably heard of MUFON, or the National UFO Reporting Center, but you may not be aware of another group, the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations Team. API is an independent organization I often collaborate with, and the two remarkable people in charge of it, Paul Carr and Marsha Barnhart, are the ones we'll hear from tonight. After earning his Bachelor of Science in Physics at Iowa State, Paul Carr became a spacecraft systems engineer with a career that spans more than 40 years and several different space missions. Then while working at the Applied Physics Lab in Maryland, he also earned a Master's in Applied Physics from Johns Hopkins University. In 2011, he was recruited to join the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations team, and in 2017 took over as director of the group. Meanwhile, his colleague... Marcia Barnhart has been with API since its inception in late 2011 and is their chief of investigations. In this capacity, she manages the administration of case files, the assignment of cases, and much of the organization's correspondence. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Management from the University of Maryland, University College, but also has a background in broadcast journalism and radio and television production. She spent 16 years at a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and prior to that, for 14 years as an active-duty Air Force broadcast journalist overseas. What an impressive background between these two. But both of them have experienced things of the unexplained variety, which we will, of course, be covering, among other things. Marcia and Paul, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, for those of the audience who may not
2: have heard of API before, what makes it different from other groups like MUFON? That's a very good question because, in a lot of ways, there's not that much difference, except we're much much smaller. I, I think that is that we have a very well defined process and set of ethical standards. We, we avoid the UFO entertainment area. We we we're not really focused on whether a case is entertaining or um, of broad public interest. But we do a lot of the same things that MUFON does. We investigate cases that the public bring to us. And sometimes, like someone like yourself, will also refer a case to us. And uh, we encourage that kind of third-party referral because it helps to vet the witness a bit better. Now, one thing that we do that, as far as I know, MUFON does not do, is we share as much data as, po- as we possibly can without violating our ethical standards. That is, all our re- reports since about 2017 and a few before that are available on our website, and these are, they are redacted reports. That is, so you won't find any personal information about the witness. Everything else is there, the, the, all the facts of the case that, that we can possibly share are are part of the part of that. Uh, and there are many, many cases there on our, our website that people can look at study. And if they have their own case that is similar, that might be helpful and, or they can perhaps even come back to us and say, Hey, you know what? I think you missed something.
1: Hmm. Okay.
2: In which case we will be happy to reopen the case. If we got it wrong, we'll say we were wrong. We never get so emotionally committed to a conclusion that, that, um, We're saying, well, you know, how could you possibly assume that we made a mistake? You know, well, just about everybody could make a mistake. So uh, it's not so much we're not a big emphasis of the differences. It's just we're more independent and we're more eager to share our data. And we are very focused on ethics. If we have a case in which we think the witness probably needs more help than we can offer, we will back off the case and say look you know you need you need somebody else other than us uh to help you getting to the facts of the case is not as important as the well-being of the witness that's that's our priority so uh and and we never sell case files we we might share a case file with the right person or group but we don't sell them and we um we do have a podcast that goes on hiatus for long periods of time. But uh, the podcast, we will sometimes have the witness speaking on the podcast, but only with their permission. And if they don't want their voice heard, it isn't heard. Um, So we have a lot less money than (laughs) MUFON.
1: Yeah, but you know what? You don't need a lot of money because you do good quality work. You know, you don't ever divulge witness names Without their permission, you know, you uphold the strictest of confidentiality. Even when I'm inquiring to a case that you two have covered, you know, you always reach out to the witness first and seek their permission if I request to speak with them. But let me ask you, Marsha, when a case comes in, because you're the first person that gets a hold of these, right? Yes. What does that look like?
0: Well, it's, it's in raw form. Um, it comes, all of our cases come into Paul originally as an email and then that gets sent on to me, just right off the bat, then um, I will assign a case number and uh, we'll determine how we want to approach this. Now, lots of times, you know, uh, we have cases that are that are years old and we determine right off the bat, we triage our cases. This is one thing I know about MUFON. They don't triage cases, a case comes in and they get sent out. Um, but we have a look at our cases, and sometimes if these cases are over you know five, six years old, we know that it's unlikely we could conduct a credible investigation. And so what I typically do is I'll write the witness and say this is this is a little older than we can credibly investigate, but we'll redact the information and put your story out on our website, and that at least is a public information. So now we've uh, made your case public, anonymous public, and uh, it can be searched in our database. So it does have a value, but it is uh, uninvestigated. And so that's what we say. It's uninvestigated, which is important, I think, to let people know that uh, if you have an uninvestigated story, that is um, a story. It's a story. But if you investigate it and you find corroboration and data and information, that becomes more than a story. It becomes an actual verifiable fact that people can work with.
1: Yeah, that that's really interesting. And on the about section of your website, it specifically states, like all good investigators, we have a skeptical bent, but we don't set out to debunk or belittle. All witnesses are treated with respect. We're genuinely curious about the phenomena, and we follow the evidence where it leads without jumping to conclusions. I just want to say, I love that because it represents what all good investigators need to have in this field, right? A healthy skepticism but a tremendous value placed on respect for the witnesses themselves. So that's something that really, I think, stand, makes API stand out from all the other organizations.
2: Yeah, well, you, you you don't wanna go in as a debunker, certainly. now, sometimes it's bunk and you have to debunk it. Uh, but that way, actually, that's not that common in our cases. Our, most of our witnesses are very sincere. Uh, they're telling us what they remember and what they perceived as accurately as they can, um, a few of them maybe embellish a bit, but uh, for the most part, they're, they they want to tell their story as they remember it, and uh, so, and that deserves respect, I think. And, and we, so we go with curiosity, but a lot of them may be a little taken aback by the fact that we're we're looking for facts, we're looking for. We really want to probe the story and find out things like where were you? What direction were you facing? Um, Exactly where were you? Exactly uh, what time was it? And all all these other important facts that they don't even know that it's important. So sometimes that, that, I hope that's not too much for some people. Some people just are happy. They were happy to say, this is what I saw. And when they're done, they're done with us. Uh, They don't really want to talk about it anymore. Um, Other other folks are uh, very cooperative and and happy to discuss it. And that does, it varies a lot. Um, But I think most of them are just looking for a sympathetic ear. Somebody who wants, who will listen and listen without, cynicism I won't call them crazy um so yeah i i would say to potential witnesses out there we don't think you're crazy at least not not at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> in fact we we run into very few people we think actually you know need psychological help uh there are a few of them but they they're not they're not anywhere near the majority or even they're a small very small minority of the people we run into um uh, and it's really not our call, you know, because we're not psychologists, we're not psychiatrists. We just we're very happy to um, listen to every anybody, and if they tell, and if even if they tell a story that is very strange, because we've seen fairly reasonable, well-adjusted people tell very strange stories. Strange things happen. People yes. are holding down good jobs. You know, uh, yeah. and so we don't dismiss that out of hand. So you sh- you should feel free to tell us the strangest things that ever happened to you if you want to, if if that's what you want to talk about. If you don't want to talk about it, that's OK, too. We're quite happy to just, just discuss about a, a light you saw in the sky, if, if that's what you want to talk about. But um, w- we often find that when we talk to these folks, they've seen other things in their past. And. They may want to talk about that as well. That's the kind of thing that uh, the reason why we we try to go in with respect, although, and we do, but it's also they have to understand that we're coming in to find facts uh, objectively. We're not we're not trying to be mean or 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 cynical. We're not trying to shoot them down. We just want to find what what we know, what what we can what can be learned about it. And maybe we'll find somebody who else who saw the same thing. That doesn't happen every time, but (laughs) maybe we will.
0: Justin, I would say that um, when you take a look at our cases, I would say probably about a fourth of all the cases we get are people who just wanted to write in about their story. And when I contact them and say, thank you for, for getting in touch with us, we've assigned a case number and we'll have some more questions for you, about one quarter of the time we hear nothing back. And I, I can only guess one of two things. One, they told their story and they're done with it, or two, we got sent to their junk mail. So we'll send them a second email, and if we don't hear them, then we cut them loose would just say that this is has not been investigated due to lack of witness response. Now about another quarter are historical cases that we can't do much about credibly. Um, And so those go on our website as uninvestigated due to Due to them being old about a quarter of the people who contact us stay with us through the entire investigative process god bless them because we will get back to them two or three times sometimes depending on the uh, actual case sometimes we only get back to them once and say we figured out what it was you know it was starlink we're getting a lot of cases with identifiable celestial objects because of starlink and things of that nature Um, and then one quarter of the cases i would say are people who who um, we can't investigate because the information they're giving us is like, I've had a case where a gal was uh, overwrought that she saw a cat in the clouds and sent a picture of clouds. And, you know, it was Apophenia. She saw a cat, a gigantic cat, that was actually a cloud. Now, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. All I can tell her is that it looks like it was just this thing called apophenia, and it's really no cat there. Uh, so things like that, we can't do anything about, and we'll just release that information, again, redacted. But, you know, the interesting thing is, and I think Paul and I are both kind of surprised about this, we we have maybe gotten, what, maybe two or three hoaxes uh, in our entire time since 2011, Paul. If that, we hardly get anyone perpetrating I th- hoaxes. I can think
2: of two.
0: Yeah. That's very few. I I know of two. Whereas on the internet, it's just rife with just hoax. I mean, you you cannot parse through the crap that's on there, but we don't get cases where people are purposely trying to put one over on us very, very seldom, which is interesting, I think.
2: It does happen, but uh, and you have to be on the lookout for it, but it's not, yeah, it's not, as Marcia points out, it's very uncommon. Partly because we 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 make it clear to the witness we're going to want to talk to you, and I think not many hoaxers want to be talked to. They they want to stay in the shadows. So it may there may be some hoaxes we we never discovered because we never really investigated because we, the person wouldn't talk to us. But um, you know, not a very good hoax if you are going <laughs> to do that. Yeah.
0: Now, one of the bigger problems we have that I'm seeing more, too, is that we'll get two or three people who give us reports over and over and over. And they are not of an anomalous nature. These people are um, very highly tuned and very sensitive to, to this um, experience of having seen something. I, you know, I mean, maybe they yeah. read too much or whatever. And, and it will be inevitably a balloon or a bag drifting in the wind or or something that just is not displaying anomalous traits. And we'll get two or three. We get a guy from India who sent in a lot, guy from Greece who sent in a lot. Um, so we have to kind of stop that to a degree. Otherwise we'd be spending all our time with this person who's acutely interested in this subject, but is only sending us floating balloons.
1: When I think of API, I think of an organization that is able to explain away a lot of cases Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ones that are sent your way is simple misidentification, you know, yeah. what are, what are some of these common misidentifications besides like
2: balloons and besides like clouds? Uh, aircraft, aircraft lights, com, com, satellites, uh, Marsha mentioned Starlink, but, uh, we also get the international space station up here a fair bit.
0: Known celestial objects are real common.
2: There actually, we actually recently added a page to our website called common IFOs, um, birds flying through a photographic frame at high speed uh blurry birds uh that we didn't notice that when we took the picture but there's a flying saucer in the picture uh Mm -hmm. or it could be or bugs um or
0: lens flares lens
2: flares are are very common which that you know they we didn't see it when we took the picture but there was this bright orb there well You know, we can show pretty conclusively that that was inside your camera and not outside your camera. Um, People with trail cams often don't understand that the trail cam is a fairly limited instrument. And when snow falls around it, you get these lovely streaks, uh, which look strange, but they're just the trail cam streaking. Uh, Oh, I could probably think, sit here and think of three or four. Other thing, classes of things, we've had a lot of them recently. A lot of, uh, well, um, meteors. Some meteors are quite spectacular when you see them. Um, Now, what makes a meteor look like a meteor? One thing, it'll have a a smoke trail. So you'll see this trail. uh, It gets very bright for maybe a few seconds and then dims very rapidly. It's rare that they last for more than a few seconds. They cross the sky quite rap- quite quickly. We've had day- daylight aircraft have been misidentified. There was a fellow in the UK who saw one of these very large uh, Beluga cargo planes that uh, that uh, Airbus makes. Really huge plane, and it looks weird f- seen from the side. And he was seeing it from miles away on the side. Really couldn't see because of haze. Couldn't see a lot of detail. And he reported that as a tic-tac. Um, now, understandable mistake. It it, it looked like a tic-tac from where he was standing. We, we get lots of those. And and most of the time when we identify something, the witness is happy to know what it is. Other times they'll resist. They'll push back. They'll say, no, I know that we're not alone.
0: Now, now the beautiful thing is we have a lot of tools that we can just plain as show them that it was us. It was a satellite or it was a plane or it was um um you know starlink or the iss or venus or whatever and that that really does take the argument away a lot of times with when paul found that beluga one the guy had no you know he had to buy it there it was exactly where he said it was on flight radar 24 at the exact same time in the exact same direction that the man saw. So that kind of takes the fight out of them. Um, and I think, I think they probably appreciate really knowing it does put kind of pop their bubble. They didn't see anything anomalous. Uh, it was proven, but we have a lot of tools that we bring to bear in this field that can really just put, put the nail in the coffin for it.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of people will say to us, I don't believe in aliens, so tell me what this really was, and we'll say okay. Well, we'll we'll have a look, uh, and most of the time we can figure out what it was. Uh, there are times when there's just not enough information. I had a case uh, on the Isle of Man, uh, which is a little island between Ireland and the UK. We see three little flashy, flickery round things rising up to the sky and you think, Oh, those are probably balloons. But I didn't have enough information on the winds to confirm that it was moving in the wind. Um, so I couldn't just say, Oh, it's, it's balloons and dismiss it. I had to say, I don't have enough information. Uh, so it's what we call low strangeness unidentified. That is, it doesn't look like anything particularly weird, but, uh, it's not moving in a way that's unusual. It's not. Its color and lighting is not that strange. It is flickering very fast, but uh, that, and that might just be because of reflective surfaces on the balloon. But that that case, I I close this unidentified low strangeness. And it's very important that when we close when we close a case that we've investigated, we give it a strangeness rating. This one was a zero means identified. It's zero to five. One means not quite identified, but not that weird, right? And then up from there, from to five. Five is really unusual, but um, sometimes we have twos or threes. We also give it a, a case quality rating, zero to five. Zero, a hoax, or just totally unreliable report. And Five is, you know, like fifteen Nobel Prize winners saw it at the same time, you know, and took measurements of it. You know, um, we have data, we have photographs, we have, we have radar, we have everything, and we have lots of good witnesses. We've never had a five, by the way. <laughs> I'm looking for one. I want a five, but, uh, you know, but usually the the case quality comes like in two, one or two. So that let lets uh, both the witness and anybody trying to understand our report know okay, here's how seriously I should take these observations and uh yeah you know, so that that and you'll find that in all our all our case reports well at least af- after two thousand fourteen
1: yeah, and I just want to reiterate this to the listener if you go to their website. Which is aerial-phenomenon.org. Click on the investigations tab, and you can read all their case reports there—the redacted case reports. There's yes. some good
2: stuff in there. Yeah, and I would, I would uh, also a little bit easier. Members report a UFO.org.
1: Report a UFO.org.
2: Yeah, that the other one's harder to spell. <laughs> I, I mess it up all the time, so. <laughs>
1: So, if you want to check out their website, you want to look into some of these cases. Go to UFO dot org o r g ufo.org.
2: Now that will land you at the re- at the report form, but you don't have to stay there. You can go to the other tabs and explore all you want. Now, apart
1: from most of these cases that can be explained away, what are some of those more notable cases? I mean, you mentioned that there's nothing on the level five of the strangeness matrix, right?
2: Well, I would say that we probably do have. I haven't finished documenting them all. The, the one that I have that's that I think is a five, really? but uh, yeah, that, I it's just so strange. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but yeah, Marsha, why don't you why don't you mention some of your favorite uh, unidentifieds?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Saying a five would be a really biggie, but um, uh, there's been some that have really puzzled me and haunted me. And I was going over my cases today, and there is this one case in Florida. It was 12045. And I I sent you um, a screen grab on 12045. This was a case of a girl. uh, Their family had been having experiences for a while. And um, at first, they thought it might be of a paranormal nature. But then they moved, and they continued to have these experiences and multiple family members had these experiences and this one case was this girl who had been um experiencing some dreams about aliens because she and her mother had had a sighting of a flying saucer what they thought was a flying saucer and after that she began to have these flying saucer dreams and dreams of aliens and at one point in time woke up and she thought she saw an alien in her bed now this picture here is one that um she had gone to bed and she slept with her dogs and she thought a dog had nestled up to her bent knees behind her knees. And so um, she realized it wasn't her dogs and it had to be something else. And she felt very strange from this, very, very fearful. She was too afraid to turn on the lights, but she had been fiddling with her her camera, her device, and she just reached up and took a quick picture down there at her knees where she felt something. And she pulled that picture up and looked at it. And as soon as she saw that picture, she remembers nothing until she came to on her family couch in the front room. And when I first saw this picture and I was beginning to work this case, I could not make sense of it, but then it immediately became clear. And the white part is the bend in her knees and the dark part is this creature that has darkened eyes and a strange nose and this big forehead. And it was crouched up on her bed and it scared the bejesus out of her. Um, Now, I investigated that thoroughly. And I called her for some more information, maybe three or four weeks after. And when I called her, she was on the phone whispering. She says, I don't think I can talk about this anymore. My uncle says, don't talk about this anymore. I really, I really have to go. And I thought, oh, whoa, that, that was perhaps a crisis in the family from this experience. And uh, when I when I finally came in focus and saw what it was, she was looking at it, what it was that was in her room and on her bed and had knocked her out. And somehow she woke up on her couch. It 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 makes the mind real. I honestly do not think this is a hoax. I mean, I can't prove it, but my sense tells me that it's improbable that it was a hoax it's improbable that it was a creature from another dimension, but I don't know what to think of that case. And, and that's been a big one. I I never knew how that family turned out, but, um, that was a, that was a chilling case for me. You know, the one you did, um, of the triangle in, uh, um, Niagara falls, you know, you, wrote up quite a bit on that. That was a real good case. It was what turned out to be the Men in Black case. That was a mm-hmm. chilling case, too. Um, there's There's been a lot of very interesting cases that uh, we've had that, you know, you... What you do is you put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you kind of take this information down an alley and you will either come to a dead end or at the end of that alley, you will have put enough pieces together to say, "Uh uh-huh, I think I know what this is and I think I can prove it. Or, my God, I have no clue. Everything else that I thought it could be, I've eliminated and what I'm left with is an unknown. You know, I hate to do that. I really prefer being able to determine what But what this person saw, they're much more satisfying to me. Coming to a dead end is not very satisfying to me, but you got to go with it.
1: That's remarkable. You know, a lot of times, like you mentioned, you want it to be something known because the unknown is unresolved. And it leaves us with all these unanswered questions. And it drives us bonkers because we can't get to a a formal end point in the case. It's almost like it's always going to be open. You know, it's never going to be solved. That is really chilling, that case, the 12-045 from Florida.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was.
2: Right around the same time, we had a really good case here in Maryland uh, that Marsha actually led it, led the investigation, but it was kind of a team effort. Um, and uh, I got involved as well. It was a, about a young man who he had was on vacation with his family, and he found one morning in his arm a, a small wire just sticking in his arm and he pulled it out. It wasn't embedded very deeply, he pulled it out he showed it to several members of his family. So we confirmed that it wasn't just something he didn't just imagine that he had it. Other people saw it, including his father a very skeptical person. And, uh, the, uh, he put it in a, um, a small polyethylene bag, like a Ziploc bag. And, and, uh, that night he put it with his other belongings and, uh He remembers doing that and went to bed. In the morning, he woke up and the bag was there, but there was a hole in it and the small wire was gone. And he gave us a sketch of the wire. It looked almost like the the Greek capital, Omega. Uh, It wasn't very large. And we got our hands on the bag. Um, And I spent a lot of quality time with that bag trying to understand how did it get damaged in the way that it was. And I noticed the damage where that hole, which was just about the the right size for the wire to fall out of or come out of in some way, was uh, very unusual. It wasn't just torn out. It wasn't just cut with the scissors or something. It, I couldn't at first figure out how, how that damage occurred. So I spent a lot of time trying to duplicate it. Um, and, uh, now we could not conclude much about what happened to the wire. Um, but everything the witness told us was consistent and with the wire disappearing. And it does seem that some kind of highly localized heat was applied right at that hole. Um, it got hot somehow. Now, we don't think he was hoaxing us because, you know, we spoke to him at length. Um, Marsha, he did a video interview with him. The usual kind of motivation for a hoax is not there. I think he was
0: credible. Justin, that was 12058. And that thing I sent you there. Now, um, when the witness woke up, he woke up because he had to go to the bathroom and he noted that this thing was in his arm and he woke up out of a dream. And when he woke up out of the dream, he looked down by the side of his bed and crouched by his bed was this blue furry creature. And then it just essentially disappeared for all he knew it went away. He got up, stumbled to the bathroom kind of out of it and looked down in his arm and found that artifact. And, uh, That artifact is what Paul tested the bag for. And as far as we can tell, it looked like it burned its way out. But, you know, that's that's inconclusive. We never had the artifact, but he did show it to others. Now, this same witness, and this is not uncommon with people who have had... high strangeness experiences. He had experiences prior to that and he had sighting experiences after that. I got in contact with him maybe a year after this because we kind of stayed in touch. And um, he and his current girlfriend were living together and they were having a lot of sightings of things and experiences and he said it was not unusual that upstairs in their attic at night would be all kinds of goings on. And this high strangeness type of activity, and I know Paul's had cases like this too, they kind of run the gamut. They aren't one single thing. Early on, you know, I think when people started doing UFO investigations, uh, all they wanted to pay attention to was, did you see an object in the sky? The investigators at the time did not want to hear that you also happen to have dreams prior to that and after that. And oh, by the way, your dad had experiences like that prior, and his dad did. And oh, by the way, Uncle Joe saw a Bigfoot once. They were just like, do not bother me with that. They thought it tainted the investigative process. But I think what we've come to find out now is that these are part and parcel of some same kind of similar phenomenon that may express itself through different aspects. Um, and so now when we take witness reports, we're always careful to ask, have you had other sightings? Have your family had other sightings? Have you had dreams or, or things of that nature? And um, you will often find that people will say, oh, you know, I remember now when I was a kid, but and then they start remembering all these things that occurred to them, and um, may have just culminated in this latest sighting that they got in touch with us on.
2: Yeah, I, I and the the, the the possibly Strangers five case that I told you about earlier, that was in the Upper Midwest, uh, married couple. Um, and they ran the whole X Files gamut of of experiences. Um, She was a religious person and framed her experience in a religious context. He was more aliens and flying saucers type of guy. Um, But they together and separately had some really, really unusual experiences that they recall. And these are salt of the earth working people um, who you know they're not out to make any money off this. In fact, she wanted it over and done forever. She felt it was something demonic. You know, I had a long talk with both of them and they kept coming up with more and more things that that seemed like something that would happen to you know in fiction.
0: Like if you were on LSD, some of the things they were seeing was as if you were experiencing an LSD trip. The husband anyway, he was the only one that would admit to it. And the son had experiences too.
2: Well, the, the son.
0: Yeah, they had a son. I think that was part of the family. No. The husband and wife. The son. They had a
2: daughter. Uh, a daughter. Okay. But they, they discouraged me from talking to her. But uh, she's an adult now. I. But um, anyway. Why would they discourage you from talking with her?
0: It's I, disturbing. Maybe, it's disturbing for the family. Because
2: she was too young. I don't know. But uh, I mean, we don't. We don't. We generally don't, don't ask to to speak to minors anyway. Uh, But she was kind of on the cusp of becoming an adult at that point. So uh, the, uh, I don't know. Uh, It was very hard to find corroboration in that case. As you know, you can dig into these cases and you often hit a wall where if I just find one person who saw the same thing or can confirm what they say uh, or Find out who this person is in the photograph. I could, I could maybe make some headway. I could, I could start unraveling things, but and you can't do it for for one reason or another. Um, th- that's very common in the most in these complicated cases. As Marcia points out, pure UFO cases that are really good unidentified cases are rare. They do happen. We do get them. Not, and not unidentified just because we don't have enough information but identif unidentified uh the best one I can think of uh was in Ohio a couple of years well i guess three years ago now um and I'm actually still have not finished writing it up because I have more analysis I want to do but this was a a gentleman uh who again a very um salt of the earth working person uh who's uh who is a commercial drone pilot on uh, on the side, um, and uh, a uh, you know a fairly young guy. He was uh, in his backyard trying to look at the uh, the comet. That was this was uh, the summer of two thousand twenty. There was a comet. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it was quite bright and on a clear night in, in the rural area, you could see it with the naked eye. He Had a night vision scope when he's not, not a super expensive one, you know, just a, a night vision uh scope like a lot of hunters have, uh, for spotting deer. And he saw a bright light out of the corner of his eye, uh, to his south. So he ran back to the picnic table where his wife was sitting and grabbed the night vision scope and ran back to where he'd been standing. By that time, it was almost. It was almost to his, uh, to his east, and he was. Um, it was high in the sky, completely silent, um, very, very bright, extremely bright. A lot of people saw this video on on uh, on the internet, but uh, he got in touch with us after he was referred to us by some other people, and the video is remarkable. It's sixty six seconds long, and that's not the entire sighting. It was, there was at least 10 more seconds, probably about 80 seconds. The first I saw, I said, oh, that's, that's a, that's an earth grazing comet. I'm uh, not a comet, but earth grazing meteor. Yeah. And, but it, it would be almost record duration. But when, when you have just a 10 second meteor that flies over on a clear summer night, you get 30, 40 witnesses uh, who reported in. And you could sometimes get more than 100 witnesses. And this, and the number of people who reported this to the American Meteor, Meteor Association was zero. <laughs> and so uh, I thought, well, what, what could it be? You know, it, it can't be, it's not an aircraft. It's not, it's extremely bright and it seems to be bright The brightness just seems it gets brighter when it gets closer and then as it's fading off to the north it well north uh northeast it gets dimmer and dimmer just gradually as you see it going over the hill Uh, but it doesn't there's no smoke trail and there's no um it doesn't break up or anything like that it just stays extremely bright i think that's a genuine ufo i have no idea what it is but
1: let me stop you there you mentioned the video yeah, is this video on your website? Can people see this?
2: Yes, it is. Uh, well, an annotated version. Let me see. Okay,
1: which case number is it that they can refer
2: to? It's twelve dash. Uh, not twelve. It's twenty. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm looking it up right now. I think it's twenty dash. O three o. It's it's on our YouTube channel when people are listening to this, they're going to want to see this
1: video, especially if you're saying that this may genuinely be an anomalous object.
2: I I believe it is an anomalous object and and I'm hard to convince about that. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, I, I, I generally uh, go into the assumption, well, you know, it, it could be almost anything. And I just want to let the audience know, these two individuals are really hard
1: on the evidence. I mean, it is rare that they come across something that is anomalous, as they've stated earlier. Like catching a UFO on camera is an extremely rare event, but it happens.
2: Yeah, or or you get you get just like a little dot in the sky that's moving in an unremarkable way, uh, but you you may not know what it is. But you know it's
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's something that's that's really impressive. I see it on your investigations page 20-030 but I cannot click on there, there's no link for the case report there.
2: Yeah, but that, that the case report's not published.
1: Okay. Uh but if they go to your YouTube page, they should be able to see this.
2: Yeah, if you, we we have on YouTube uh we have a we have what we call it one of our paylists, playlists playlist is witness submitted video. Okay. You want me to share it? Uh I'll show Uh yeah, let's uh yeah, go for it. Yeah.
1: Uh, if you can, can you, yeah, I
2: can see it. Yep. Okay. Okay. Now you see, I've annotated this a bit with putting in the stars that I can identify. You see how bright it is. Yeah. It's incredibly bright. That's it's about 50 degrees elevation angle right there. So it's, um, those other little orbs are lens flares, uh, in the, in the camera. So it looks like there's lots of little purple things flying around. Those those are lens flares. But and you can see it just gets further and further away and gets dimmer and dimmer. That's the analysis I want to do. I want to look. I want to see if I can measure the brightness and graph it. And this goes on. This just takes sixty-six seconds. I
1: remember you talking about this during your presentation down in Maryland.
2: Yes, I did. I did show this video uh, at uh, the Mysteries of Space and Sky or the Sky and Space Camera. You got it. Space and Sky. Uh, Mysteries of Space and Sky. Yes, I did. I did show that. And uh, this is the, a remarkable
1: um, video because it, it does it look like it's even slowing down to a point, or is it just going uh, out in the distance? That, I can't television?
2: be sure. I think it's just. I, I think it's probably just staying at a par- fairly steady speed and just moving away until it's just so so far that you can't. It goes. It's not visible. It goes over the over the horizon, okay. um, which. Uh, it does that quite a bit faster than an airplane. It doesn't, uh, at least a high altitude airplane, but um, it's, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I just know that I can't identify it. Uh, it's not uh, an earth grazing meteor. As much as I was convinced that what it was, that was what it was in the first place. Got none of the characteristics of that, including, the fact that nobody else reported it and you would have uh, this was a clear summer night over ohio people you would have seen now there were and the thing is there were other meteors that night that were nowhere near as long duration that were report that reported by like 15 20 witnesses in the us and we have cases uh there's one in europe not long ago that was an earth grazing meteor uh that had probably 100 reports but those all have smoke trails, and this have, I could not find a smoke trail in that video. I looked really hard. You look on the AMS website, which is a great website. They have a fireball log, and every time they get a video in, and they get lots of videos, they will show their video. And you see the smoke trail on the brighter fireballs. Uh, you see it, it, whether the moon is up or not. I think it's uh, it's not a meteor. Uh, and it's not a plane, uh, not a drone. I don't know, but I think the guy's sincere. I think he's um, he he he's um, he was very open talking to me, and uh, unfortunately, his wife did not see it because she was sitting where the tree was blocking her. Let me ask you this: when after he sees
1: this sighting, did any other high strangeness take place, or is it or is it just that light in the sky event, and then that's it?
2: In this case, I I don't think there was anything that. It, that he's telling me about.
1: As you know, I love looking at patterns in the phenomena.
2: -hmm.
1: more, more notable similarities that witnesses seem to share, right. With one another. And a lot of times these witnesses don't know each other. They don't know that there are these commonalities here. What are some of these commonalities pertaining to these high strangeness incidents or these UFO reports that you've noticed?
0: I've, I've noted that it seems to be a familial thing that, um, it's not uncommon, we've read about this a lot recently, that uh, it seems to be family members uh, on one side or both sides of the um, family that have had experiences. I had a case in Ohio where um, a woman and her son were driving back at um, 40 minutes after midnight. And they just happened to be having an argument. They were driving and almost ready to turn into the parking lot to their house. When above them rushed over this green, neon green object, and it was at treetop level. So you're talking 30, 40 feet, no more than that. It went over them. Of course, they both shut up. It hooked a U turn and went right back. And both the mother and the father saw, or mother and the son saw that. And um, I talked with the mother and I asked her if she'd had any other experiences and she said, well, yes, she had. When she and um, her husband were young, just before they were married, they were out parking and um, they were supposed to be home by 11 o'clock and they both seemingly fell asleep after they saw a UFO in the sky and they didn't get home until 1220 and they got in trouble for it and neither one of them remembered going to sleep. And further, when the husband was stationed in, uh, he was in the Air Force, and he was stationed up in Montana, up near, uh, uh, up near Canada. Uh, there was a uh, station up there, and there was an incident of a UFO at that base. And she remembers that the whole base was, it was a small base, was very concerned about that. And she said that she believes they've, they've had um, numerous experiences, and that was something that was in the family. Uh, but this was just the latest one. This strange, green, fast-moving neon spacecraft that flew across, hooked a U.E. and flew back. So I think that it's something that's kind of in the family. And I also think there there's a multiplicity of of phenomena. It's not just uh, you see U.F.O.s. You will talk to people; they've they've seen ghosts or they've had experiences of E.S.P or, um, you know, uh, odd coincidences that they, they have a hard time explaining away. So, you know, like as your book, it's a spectrum of things that seem to present themselves in some families.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because this is a thread that I'm following. I've been following recently, uh, asking about family histories, trying to sort of pinpoint that moment in time, almost like, when did this first start occurring in your family? And, or what do you remember some of your um, family members saying, some of your ancestors saying? And it almost seems, now again, it's just speculation, but it almost seems like there is an event, almost like a an opening. And from that point on, it seems like it tends to follow these family lines. Now, again, it's just all speculative. Mm -hmm. but I've now started asking those questions. Tell me about your family history. What did your grandmother experience? What did your cousin experience? And more often than not, there tends to be high strangeness throughout the families. Very, very weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned the multiplicity of a phenomenon. Let's kind of bounce off of that and let's jump to some of the beyond the lights in the sky type cases, but abduction type cases. Have you guys, uh, investigate any of those?
0: We, we don't do for the most part, we do not do abduction cases. Um, uh, those now, yeah, we just don't normally do those. We'll refer them off to, well, it's hard to say how we parse that Paul, you know, we, but we don't well, really do those.
2: Early on we got a few of them. Um, and, Generally speaking, we didn't investigate um, the concern there. There's, there's a couple of concerns there. One is the a typical abduction case. All you have is the memory of someone who was probably asleep at the time. Um, and if there's, and these memories, um, we're not prejudging where they come from, but um a lot of people do have sleep sleep paralysis memories. Uh, we know that, but uh, in a particular case, we don't know that. So, But the main concern is that if all we have is the memory, then it's just a story, and there's really very little we can do with that other than just record the memory, which which is something they can do for themselves. They don't need us to, to do that. Now we do take... UFO stories a lot. and we, you know, we talk to people and write, and write down their stories, but we don't, as Marsha pointed out, we can't do much with just a story. Um, but especially if it's a single witness story. I think there's, my problem has been, I think there's been a lot of very unethical abduction investigation. Um, I don't understand the psychology of it. I, I'm not qualified to make a judgment about the psychology of it. But the the person that is having that memory, a lot of cases those memories are very traumatic and uh, painful for them. Uh, there are some folks who have a very positive story to tell, but uh, that's not what we usually get. We get someone who feels like they've been uh, essentially raped or, or attacked.
0: Yeah, and see that... Justin that's not really our bailiwick because you can't bring you can't bring scientific protocols to it you can't bring data to it finding out what the wind direction was that night ain't going to help you finding out if you know if there were satellites in the area or that is not something you can really find facts and data on unless there was a corroboration and unless in the newspaper it said a flying saucer was seen that night and all those types of things but for the most part it's just not an area of expertise that we feel comfortable going to because if these people did have an abduction an actual abduction there's nothing we can do for them and they need to talk to somebody who can help them because lots of times that is so traumatic to a human psyche that it undoes it undoes them and there's just not much we can do yeah
2: now, as someone who's had a sleep sleep paralysis experience, I can tell you it is absolutely terrifying. You feel like you're five years old, and a monster's coming after you. It's really, and you can't talk, and you can't, you can't move. Um, so, I understand a lot of people just find that scary, but a lot of the stories they tell are so so bad that uh, when they've told them to it, we say, "Well, okay, you need." to go speak to someone who can help you. That's not us. We don't, we don't do that. And we are not going to try to recover your memory of the, of the event because that's one of the unethical things that I think has been done a lot. It goes back even to the satanic panic of the nineties when, and eighties when people were doing recovered memory therapy of various kinds to, uh, and they re- ended up recovering false memories. And, 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 if you say, you know, if you ask yourself, what is a person? What is a human being? A lot of what it, they are is their memories. And now you're messing with that. And uh, so in my view, that's an not ethical thing to do. Th- that avenue of investigation, in my view, is, is something we shouldn't go down. Now, I, I would take an abduction case if, as Marcia mentioned, there was some other element to the case that involved something we could actually sink our teeth into. Uh, Like, you know, someone else saw in the family saw something, saw a light, a bright light in the backyard or something like that. Then we want to know about that. Or the dogs were whining, whatever it was, we could, we could maybe do something with that. Uh, But we're not going to be able to help them with the trauma. And, that is the first priority. So after they've gotten that help and they're they're, com- they're more comfortable with the situation, then we can come back and, and look at it. Uh, but the most important thing is the well-being of the person. Uh, now, if somebody came to me also and said, I had this abduction experience, it's very positive, and I I felt good about it, and I'm so excited that it happened to me. Well, that's a little different, but it's still... It's still just it, a story
0: it 's not our bailiwick, really, yeah, you know we did do you know that story I had um, and you covered that in your book too, Justin, about these two guys that were driving along the desert and they stopped in to get some uh, uh, buy something at a store, and there were all these cloned look alike um, young military members now when that kid first reached out to me and told me that story, uh, I thought, well, it was a very interesting story i mean that 's a real high strangeness story, but is there corroboration and there was for that. So that's why it made it onto our website because it was a high strangeness corroborated story. Uh, And so we felt that was, you know, I mean, it was a compelling uh, recollection by two people. And corroboration for even sightings is relatively rare. Uh, When you have two people who are experiencing the same thing at the same time, that's really interesting and they aren't that common. We just closed a case uh, recently that was in West Virginia where a husband and wife were driving to work in the early morning. This was January and they crossed a bridge and flew over them a triangular UFO. Uh, And they both saw that. And the wife got a better look at it because she wasn't driving. She was the one who took the video of it wasn't much to see but we were able to we were able to determine that there was objects over the river that they were talking about but uh that was a husband and wife thing and uh the wife was very clear that it was not a plane up in the air it was right over the lake and uh they saw it clearly and you know unless the both of them are bald faced lying to you and i don't think they were then that was a corroborated sighting i had a sighting where a um, mother and her daughter were just coming out of Louisville. I mean, it's highly uh, populated, just coming out of Louisville. And a straight out of Central Casting flying saucer flies over them. And um, uh, so this girl contacted me and told me the story and sent in a report. And so, of course, I'm going to do due diligence. And I looked and, well, darn it, there was an airplane, a private plane that flew the exact tract this lady told me that ufo flew with the exception that the airplane came in and landed at a nearby airport but the ufo she and her mother saw shot off into the sky so i'm thinking okay this is just a simple misidentification and i told the gal i said you know, unless your mother talks to me, I'm going to have to put this as a misidentification of an aircraft. And she says, well, it was not that. And I'll have my mother call you. So the mother calls me and she was adamant. And, and the daughter sent a picture in. And I think that picture there, flying saucer you've got, um, that was Kentucky. That was 20-045. Now, this this is a professional woman. And this was a, she drew a straight out of central casting flying saucer for me. And that's what she and her mother saw. And they were adamant about it. And that, the mother said, I don't care what you say. I know we saw a flying saucer. It wasn't an airplane because it hovered over this area here, this Linden neighborhood, just up from, from the Shelbyville road. Now... Also on 1245, you'll see the picture of that flying saucer. That blue outline is what this airplane flew. That blue outline is what they say this flying saucer flew, with the exception that it hovered over this neighborhood and then took off into the sky. You have that craft?
1: The one on the left. Can you see that? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. Case 20045. Yeah, that's that's what she drew. And that's what she said they saw. And that does not comport with an airplane with wings, fuselage, and a tailpiece. And so um, now, of course, you always have to wonder, is this a shared illusion or hallucination or some shared sighting? But, you know, I've had several cases that have flummoxed me because the interesting thing on that case was two weeks after this sighting that I did a, a report on, There was a New Fork, a National UFO Reporting Center, sighting from the same road by a couple who were driving along and saw a flying saucer. And as it passed over them, it looked in the rear exactly like the lighting configuration of an airplane. And they said it was a flying saucer that essentially morphed into airplane configuration. Uh, So those... I'm not sure where to put that type of thing because the mind reels trying to figure out how, how a phenomenon, if it's real, could fake being an airplane. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the credibility was high with both of them.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because you bring up another point, this, uh, this shape changing Mm. That these objects tend to exhibit. And I'm wondering. Mm. And again, speculation, but I have a lot of reports of these helicopters coming into the scene uh usually following a UFO event, it could be several days after a UFO event, but they're kind of mimicking some of the uh some of the characteristics of UFOs, but they're appearing as helicopters. I've started calling uh-huh. them phantom helicopters because they'll uh-huh. the witness will describe seeing the helicopter before they hear the sound. And it's not until they see the helicopter that then they hear the sound. Well, what do we know about helicopters? That's backwards. <laughs> you got it, exactly. And a lot of yeah. these helicopters are extremely low altitude uh, objects too. Again, this is, this is such a bizarre, baffling phenomenon. Yeah. And it keeps changing. It's a dynamic phenomenon.
0: Yeah, you really cannot get, uh, you, you cannot get a hold of it it is like um, just too big for anybody to really get a hold of.
1: But you guys are trying your best, and you're looking. Well, we try at- our
0: best with the nuts and bolts stuff. You know, we can only go nuts and bolts. We we cannot we cannot sally forth into the high strangeness stuff because we do not have the tools to credibly investigate something that um, thwarts being able to investigate it with known scientific protocol now that we have anyway.
1: And for the audience that's listening to this, if you go to their website, reporterufo.org at the top there you'll see a section called witness FAQ and i think this is important because this shows what you're looking for what the ideal data is that you're after that can help you too to get to the bottom of whatever it is a witness has observed or experienced right yeah so i encourage you to go on their website reporterufo.org learn about some of this stuff and if you've had an experience and you have some of that rich data that they're that they're looking for, please send it their way. What specifically are you looking for? Because I know, Paul, I sent you a video of some, you know, that the witness had sent me. It was kind of low res, low quality. You want the original video file with all of the the, the metadata included with it, right? Because you go beyond just analyzing it from a visual perspective.
2: Yeah. It- we prefer video to photos, but if you've got photos we'll take them. We want photos and videos that have that are basically intact. They they are right out of the camera. Shouldn't worry about if they're too dark or too light or whatever. We can fix that. Um and for photos in particular, we need the metadata. We need to know things like shutter speed and um because it's it's information, right? And as the more information we have, the better. And if you really do have a case that's unidentified or identifiable, then more information will make that case stronger, not weaker. So, yes, if, if you see a UFO and you have a camera or your phone, uh, and, and some of the, the newer phones are, have really nice cameras on them. They're not as good as dedicated cameras, but they're still way better than they used to be. Put it on video mode and don't worry about the settings. Just point it at the object. Uh, I will find the object in that video and, and be able to uh, just to learn what we can from it. And then send me the video file right out of your camera or your phone without any modification. Without it. You don't have to annotate it. You don't have to put a little circle around the thing. Uh, just give it to me. And and then we're going to have an interview. We'll talk about what happened in and the circumstances and the the context and what direction you're looking in.
1: It is not easy though, to get those original high quality, you know, uh, high file size clips to you, right? So they can't email it. They
2: can't text it. What do you suggest? Well, we can't, you can't upload a certain file size in the, in our reporting form. If, if it's too big for that, just let us know back to there. there is a, Box you can check on the report form and I will set you up with a cloud folder where you can upload any size file uh, or files, plural. Um, And we can, uh, the important thing is, yeah, that should not be a limitation. Um, We've got, um, we've got the ability to receive a lot of very large, and, and many of our witnesses do this. So just, yeah, pull that file. Off your phone and upload it, or you don't have to pull it off your phone. You can leave it on your phone. Just go and use the uh, the Google Drive app to uh, upload it. You'll be surprised how much better the quality can be. Um, some people send us screenshots. And sc- screenshots are really poor, but we can fix that. We can we can get the original file. Um, some people send us. Uh, what are they? Uh, Snapchats. <laughs> we'll, we'll work with what we what we can get, but but you prefer you know, the
1: original native file, untouched, unmodified? Because
2: we want to do a quality investigation. You want you want it to be have as much information as possible. And I sh- I will tell you, most of these video cases, we identify what it is, uh, whether it's just space station or a plane or whatever. We're able to we're able to do that. The still picture cases are harder to work with. We still are able sometimes able to get good information about that. And, you know, a lot of times it's it turns out to be a bird uh, or an insect or something. But uh or a dust orb. Now the ones you sent me, I'm pretty sure they're not dust orbs. <laughs> they're something else. I, I don't know exactly what. Um and I'm hoping that she will send me the 4K version from her phone that she has.
1: And- yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I, I, I don't have a lot of faith in it, but hopefully, and look, we'll get you as much as we can. But I just want to stress to the listener, if you have something that you think might be anomalous, please, this is the organization that you want to send it to. They're going to do the research on it. They're going to pick it apart. But if you have something that is truly anomalous,
2: you're going to know about it and they're going to verify it. And We're not out to show that people are crazy or lying. We're just trying to, we just want to know what it is. We're curious. And uh, every once in a while, it's like the one I showed a little earlier. It's something really great. Other times, we can't figure out what it is, but it may not be that strange.
1: Yeah, they're few and far in between, you know. Yes. But that that's how this phenomenon is. This is a very rare thing. But let me ask you this. What about people who don't have an experience, who don't have evidence that they can submit to you. How can people interested in the topic of UFOs of UAP make a meaningful contribution to this
2: field? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, We would, we are not a UFO club. We are not, you know, you don't pay dues and you don't, um, you know, you don't, you don't, we don't have all these meetings where we tell great UFO stories, but, what we do have is we have a few openings, not very many, for people who want to get involved in in this topic. Um, it it takes a lot of persistence and grit and uh, willingness to do some of the unpleasant, dirty work, like looking up looking up what the weather was and you know a, on a particular date, that sort of thing. Uh, it's not not all fun. And we also have, you know, we have other tasks that people can do besides that. I would really love someone to take over the WordPress site, Uh, you know, who really somebody who enjoys that more than I do. We do a wonderful job so far. So I do not like I do not enjoy WordPress. (laughs) Uh, But uh, uh, well, I'm not basically not a good webmaster. Uh, But there are other things and they can talk to us about that in private if they wish and uh just you know just shoot me an email or go there's a contact form on our website um and somebody says i'd like to help and we we've had a lot of people that have come, have come into the organization and found out that it involves a lot of grunt work and have stopped doing the grunt work they stopped basically stopped investigating cases for us and walked away we've had other people who left for totally legitimate reasons like health or or Major life changes or things like that, but you know, the, you get you get in there and you go, well, gosh, I have to write a report. Well, you know, okay, I'm way behind in my report writing too, so I I, I get it. It's not easy, but you know, that's the kind of maybe maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you want to, you'd like to help out with the website or or do art for us or do um, social media, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cause I remember you mentioned you needed help with that. I was looking, I, for a long time, I was looking for a social media coordinator, but then I thought, well, gosh, you know, that's not that easy. You know what I would like to do Find And this is going to be almost impossible, but I would like to find somebody to take over as director. Um, because I, I really just want to do cases <laughs> I don't, and, Uh, I'm not a great administrator. And, well, you know, we were founded by Antonio Paris. Antonio is great at promotion. He's great at recruiting. He's great at all those kinds of things that a good director should do. I'm terrible at those things. And uh, fundraising, um, all that. Uh, He actually went out and got us money to go on trips and things. And I I don't know where how he did that. All right.
1: I want to stop you there because that gets into the origins of API and you mentioned Antonio Paris and I remember he was the director of API and I've asked Marsha about this before, but it's a question that I don't think we really know the answer to because he was very front and center with the organization. And then suddenly he vanished. What happened to him?
2: Well, he didn't vanish. I mean, I, uh, I think there were a lot of things going on. Uh, not, not all of which I'm privy to, but, um, and, and some of the things I know about that I'd rather not discuss publicly, but uh, he wrote Marsha and I an email saying, I have other things going on that are higher priority for me, and I can't continue with API. It, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. but uh, And uh, that is a perfectly reasonable conclusion to reach. Um, I know he, he changed his life a lot after that. Um, and, uh, he, um, he does, he does, he's done a lot of different things. Um, but, uh, he didn't vanish at all. He He's still around. Uh, he still posts on Facebook almost every day. Uh, and, uh. But not for the organization, though, right? No, yeah. he's not involved in the organization at all he, anymore. He
0: wanted, he wanted oh. to pull a plug on API. And Paul said that he would step up and keep it going. Uh, and Antonio said, OK, that's fine. And he turned the keys over to Paul. But but Antonio's gone off on, on a great quest, as far as I can tell, from his Facebook and, and uh, Twitter posts. And he is full tilt boogie into uh, uh, Astro what is it, astrobiology? Um, he's I very well, involved.
2: I, he, geology, that sort of thing. Okay, uh, well,
0: he's just, he's really very, very, very science-minded at this point and off on his own little things. Last I saw, he's running around in his own truck and uh, trailer and just off doing a science hunt thing.
2: Yeah, he, he sold his house and bought an RV and drives all over the country. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, I think that's totally... Well, he's happy. Reasonable to do. I, I, um, but, uh, okay. Well, I just wanted to ask about that because,
1: yeah, API, I'm glad that he turned over the keys to you two because if he didn't, we wouldn't be talking about this. No,
0: they would have, they would have died, all those cases. We've
2: had cases. uh, Basically, I needed the website. (laughs) And he said, okay, well, it's now $18 a month and it, uh, And here's the, here's all the passwords. And I said, okay, I'll take over the payment. I'll take over the domain name. Um, And uh, with $10 a year, you renewed the domain name. And I decided, yeah, I can do that. Uh, The minute that, that part was easy. The WordPress, not not so much, but.
0: (laughs) Now the important thing I would say that if, if we got another director and I, I know Paul's, Probably doesn't enjoy that much. I wouldn't. But if we got another director, this director would have to have be a good fit because one of the, the one of the things that API is not is um, you know alien chasing. Uh, we aren't Mufon. Mufon, I think, is gone off the rails. You know, it used to be that a real scientific approach, but a lot of the things they do are you know really hard to maintain is scientific so whoever would take over has to be you know a pretty nailed down scientist i would say that that has um the things we need we don't want to be a space club or alien chasers or anything you know like i've mentioned to you before justin we we're agnostic about the idea of aliens and such we have no idea, we can't prove that. I don't know who could. We are not interested in proving if there's aliens. All we wanna do is when we get a case, you know, chew on it, try to figure out exactly what the um, explanation is and then present that to the client. And uh, that's that's our thing. Uh, and so a director and other people who come into the organization need to understand that uh, we're not trying to prove there are aliens uh, or any phenomenon at all. I mean, I have my feeling about it. Paul has his. I honestly think something is interacting with us. I have no idea what it is. It is absolutely beyond my ability to comprehend, and and I um, I don't even try. I just accept that there is an unknown thing interacting with the earth and us.
2: Yeah, I a direct our our new director would would have to be somebody who could devote a fair bit of time. Uh, out of their schedule, so ideally, retired person or um, someone who uh, doesn't doesn't have a full time uh, commitments to other things. Maybe their kids are grown, uh, you know, and uh, is good at things. The kinds of things I'm bad at, like recruiting and raising money and organizational leadership. You know, somebody who could who could recruit a board of directors and all the other things so you can have a proper nonprofit organization. With uh, a bank account and uh, all the things that that we've kind of skirted around over the years, so uh, th- that's the kind of thing where you know uh, if somebody's out there listening and w- is interested and uh, is it, it wants to get into UFO investigation as well, uh, we can help. But uh, like Marcia said, it's not going to be easy to find somebody like that. Okay.
0: I don't even uh, and, want a board of directors. Now we're talking about decision by committee. Forget about well, it. I it's just not, like somebody. It, they like to do this. They have money and they're going to be a director. But board of directors now, oh my God, no.
2: No, no. no. Well, the thing is that if you're going to incorporate so you can get uh, tax exempt contributions, you have to have an organization.
0: And, you yeah. know, when, when you think about this, about how Bigelow came in to move on and oh, yes. and caused a lot of mischief i think that has not been talked about much but when they got a guy with money who threw it around took these cases you know i mean that was that was a bad thing and i don't want that to ever happen to us
2: well it's been talked about i just uh <laughs> they don't agree on what happened but uh, well
1: You know what, let's kind of shift gears because obviously there has been a a lot of chatter around recent revelations from our government when it comes to the subject of UFOs or UAP. Mm -hmm. What stands out to you about these so-called disclosure efforts and the contention surrounding recent UFO personalities and their contributions to it?
2: (sighs) Um, I'm actually uh, quite skeptical about the whole business, frankly, I have not seen any solid evidence that any of the claims made are are accurate. Um, When the evidence comes up, I'll be the first one in line to say, hey, I want to know, I want to know more about this. But um, the, the loud UFO personalities, the people who are in the press and on 20 podcasts a week and have um, thousands and thousands of followers on Twitter. Those people have not contributed much, in my opinion. And and also uh, another thing that I'm really skeptical about is this big D disclosure. That I, I'm sure I don't think it's a coherent concept. The the notion that there is some there are some secret keepers in government who know everything, which Right there, I'm not (laughs) – I I doubt that uh, because we're talking about multiple generations um, and lots of compartmentalization and probably lots of private industry involvement. Um, They know – there's probably a few of these organizations that know a little. None of them have enough evidence to come forward and say we can can confirm – what everybody's dream is that, that we're in contact with uh, alien beings or whatever. And though you know, we know lots about them uh, and we can confirm they exist. Uh, no one's going to do that unless the evidence is slam dunk, scientifically vetted and lots of it, multiple lines of evidence. I don't, because that would be a career ending move for anyone in government to do that even if they had that information i'm i'm suspicious of the of every
0: faction i don't believe a word the government tells me anymore i don't believe much of what's coming out of anybody's mouth uh, regarding the ufo thing regarding disclosure i don't know if if it's purposefully uh being misleading I honestly don't know that, or if, you know, even on a really kind of out there concept, if it's the old idea of the trickster, you know, when you hear about some of the old cases you know, the landings in the 1800s of these dirigible-type things that that the UFO characters came out and they would purportedly tell the people on the ground there, you know, old Farmer John, that they have to get some water for the dirigible and and it was one of those spacecraft that they'd been writing about there out of New York City. And and just the most absurd, concocted, weird things, they would say, that on the face of it uh, was apparently just made for the guy they were interacting with. And when you look at it as a whole, it's it's absurdity. You know, Jacques Vallée addressed that a lot. You know, I'm kind of in that camp. There's just a lot of absurd elements. Like Paul, I don't think anybody has an idea of what's going on. And if they did, uh they either should... Put up or shut up and and hearing a lot of this. Well, we have this, but we can't say because of X and Y and Z. That is not doing this field any favors. I don't think there are a lot of contentions. There are a lot of factions. There's a lot of misinformation purposely or accidentally. But right now it is in complete disarray. and, And I don't believe anything out of anybody.
1: Going to the misinformation and the disinformation stuff we know for a fact that there are factions that have involved themselves with UFO groups for whatever reason, have you two run into Mm -hmm. that? Have
2: you run into any of that, that (sighs) resistant or, uh, no, not directly. I mean, I, yes, you are correct. Historically, there's been, uh, disinformation, uh, which basically involves telling people what they want to hear. Um, and then mixing in with that, uh, some things that are just completely false. Um, everybody's familiar with I've, Adam Rightly's book, uh, "Saucers, Cooks, and Spooks." That's that's one of the best sources about that uh, that kind of thing. Um, also, um, Greg Bishop's book, uh, "Project Beta," uh, about the Paul Benowitz affair. But no, we haven't. I don't think anyone's tried to disinform us directly. If, if they have, I, I, they completely fooled me. Uh, um, but basically, I'm not the kind of person, you can tell me what I want to hear because then that, I, will, I will doubt that more than anything else. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, and one of the unfortunate things is a lot of people don't seem to know the history at all. Going back a long time, there have been has been involvement by the intelligence community in the UFO field, uh, and a lot of the information has been inaccurate, or and the notion that disclosure is coming soon is probably at least 70 years old, going back to Donald Kehoe and uh, even before him. So we've seen it before, we've seen it all before. We we sh- You should be skeptical and you should say, what is the evidence I want to see solid evidence. And the latest guy, uh, Mr. Grush, I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, maybe he's a fine person. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a hater. I don't. But he seems to have been associated with a lot of the usual suspects, including Eric Davis and Hale Putoff and Lou Elizondo and those guys, uh, long before he came out with this uh, with this hearsay which is hearsay. He, he doesn't have any evidence. He says, I heard somebody tell me they have evidence, which is not evidence. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't want to go on a rant here, but uh, there, there's a lot of things that are not evidence that, that are accepted very gleefully as evidence in, uh, in the UFO world. So be careful. That's all I say. Be careful. Speaking about being careful, have you run
1: into dangerous situations where you were told, don't investigate this?
2: I haven't. No.
0: I have not. The biggest thing I ever thought would be the scary thing is if, you know, some man in black showed up at my house and gave me some weird stare. You know what my my answer is? Sure enough, I'm gone. Bye-bye. I'll never breathe another word. They'd scare me. I, I, it, it is not worth my life my well being or, or uh my family, if I were to be accosted by somebody to say, you know, no, I'm going to plow forward regardless of where it leads me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in my life if aliens are real. I don't care. I do care if I have a nice life, comfortable life, peaceful, and I don't have a lot of shenanigans going on. So that's me. Man in black doesn't have to show up in my house. I already give. I cried uncle.
2: Yeah. Well Antonio and I were at Skinwalker once, uh, just, you know, poking around and making a nuisance of ourselves. We weren't actually at the ranch. We were, you know, a mile or so away uh, from the ranch. And we were treated to a little bit of security theater um, uh, and some attempted intimidation. Antonio is a uh, combat decorated uh, army ranger. Not easily intimidated. Um, I don't think I am either, although I'm, I don't have his credentials. But um, – and we just, you know, we just laughed it off. But – and they didn't try anything. They just – they were this just trying to – it was just kind of a show, show of force. Related to specific cases, though, have you ever felt like
1: you've gone – you've gotten too close to something and felt the – like that something or someone was trying to push you away?
2: No. Um, no.
0: The closest I came was that case I told you about that young girl who, when I called her back to get more information, how, how fearful she was. And I mean, just whispering on the phone and had to get off. I can't talk with you again. That gave me a clear understanding that she felt there was danger, um, regarding her sighting, but I have not felt danger doing any investigation. But we, we're pretty small potatoes. Nobody's interested in,
1: yeah. you know, well, us. Well, g- give yourself some credit. You, you Some of these cases that I've been reading on your site, some of these case reports, they're fascinating. I mean, this is really important stuff. And I, I just want to encourage the listener to go to your website, read some of these case reports for yourself. You're going to find some incredible events that that these two have investigated and their their fellow uh, colleagues, too. But it's a very, very small team, so they can't handle everything. That's why they need your help. Get in touch with them.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I I did recently speak with a military uh, ex-military witness um, who this sighting took place back in the 70s. So it's a long time ago. And he was subject to intimidation and threats and told this didn't happen. never talk about it. Uh, it, It's an interesting story. And I'll probably put the audio out on the, on our podcast feed at some point. Um, But uh, a story again, we don't really know, but he, he seems sincere. Um, And uh, it's an It's an interesting sequence of events uh, in New Mexico in the seventies, but. Uh, And I've heard other other military witnesses say similar things, but not all of them. Many of them uh, say, oh, nobody told me not to say anything.
1: What about personal experiences? Because I know you two have touched on it a little bit. But are there any of these personal experiences that you think might be worth sharing tonight?
2: I personally um, have had some. I had one close encounter, what you call a CE1. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, and some other sightings that are more flybys or uh, what Jacques Filet would call an AN, um, but AN1, which means no threat to my safety or anything like that. I did just, I talked on Martin Willis's podcast several years ago. I talked about my, CE at length, but um, it was in the Maryland suburbs near DC and it lasted about I don't know 15 seconds. And uh, it was I did a terrible job of documenting it, which is one of the reasons I've, I felt so bad about that that I wanted to <laughs> make amends. Um, but uh, it was a black rectangle about maybe about the size of a a truck, uh, maybe a little smaller, uh, flying low and slow through a suburban neighborhood in Maryland, uh, near D.C., it seemed to be just minding its own business, going on its way. But it was flying, uh, no visible means of propulsion, no noise, and it uh, flew ne- flew next to my neighbor's house, which which our next door neighbor, and then came up. I could see it through the trees very easily and uh, somehow got through the power lines. And I ran, I realized I had no camera, no binoculars, nothing that I could document it with. And I so I ran over to where it just passed and I could see it slowly floating away. It had changed orientation from edge up to flat and it was just going away. And there are other people there, but they either didn't see it or didn't want to acknowledge that they saw it.
1: Wait, what, what do you mean
2: that? Well, I, I saw it. And I go, "What is that?" Loudly. There were a few children, um, two or three, a couple of other adults, maybe three adults, and uh, but I, they didn't even look at me.
1: Did they look at the object?
2: You know, they were not looking in the direction of the object. But I but I pointed at it. And they just like, they were so engaged in conversation, they didn't pay any attention. These are pe- people I know. Um, I just sort of stood there flat footed for a few seconds and I ran over to the, where, where it had passed. Somehow I got through the power lines there. Uh, it was big, but not huge. It was, you know, it was, it was um, maybe 20 feet off the ground. It, oh, at my most. goodness. That's extremely
1: uh, low flying.
2: But I'm sure it was close because of where I saw it pass next to my neighbor's house and um, going up her driveway. Did you go to the neighbors
1: and did you then talk to them about this? Like,
2: No, I did not. Why not? Uh, Probably stigma. Yeah. I I, I don't remember at the time. Uh, I know I didn't document it well. I, I should have gone and written down everything I remembered and made sketches and I didn't do that. And I... Uh, so everything I sermonize other people about, I've done it. I've done worse. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, in those days, I didn't, you know, I I didn't even have my phone, but in those days, cell phones were not, did not have great cameras, but I think I had an iPhone three or something like that, but it, it wasn't in my pocket. And, uh, my good camera was in the house and, uh, I had no binoculars. So, um, I just had to watch it. Wow,
1: that's amazing! Were it, was, you...
2: it it really, it really got me. It got to me though, not emotionally so much, but uh, it was a huge curiosity spike.
1: Was this before you were part of API, or is this kind of yes, kinda... yes really? before? I,
2: yeah, I've seen other things not that close, uh, mostly at night. Not, not this was a daylight sighting. Not. Uh, a lot of them were not that weird, not 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 as weird as this. Uh, even some things I thought maybe I could explain if I had more information.
1: Well, that's fascinating. That's a really intriguing tale.
2: Yeah, that really I, intriguing. I I wish I wish I had more information. I have heard of other people in, in the D.C. area see kind of similar things, and there was a lady out in San Francisco reported to us of a of a black rectangle that she saw, much. Doing much more fancy maneuvers. That was a single person sighting. Her husband was asleep, and she didn't want to wake him up. But uh,
1: I, understandably, so you know. Um, yeah. What about you, Marsha? What what what's the top personal experience you've uh, you've witnessed? Hmm.
0: Well, the top personal experience. Well, um, I've had a breadth and depth of interesting experiences, from from paranormal to You know, some interaction with some kind of something, I don't know what. But um, there were several instances, sightings instances, that were quite interesting. One really rocked my world, and that was when I was in Turkey, stationed there in Turkey, in the Air Force at Inzerlik Air Base. And this was during the Pleiadian um, uh, meteor shower. I think it was 79 or 80. And a bunch of us were out there in the little Ingerlik village and it was a dark sky and we were watching a bunch of meteors come in. I mean, there was just a bunch of them. It was the most fascinating thing. And a couple came in and one was a bolide and it blew up. And as I was looking up in that part of the sky, that bolide threw a light up and it illuminated this gigantic black square in the sky. And... um It was so big and so startling that it dropped me to my knees because it just undid me. I could not fathom what I was seeing up there. I realized later that, you know, meteors come in about 60 miles up. So whatever that was, was gigantic and above 60 miles up because it illuminated the bottom of it. That I didn't think about for a long time. I don't know why. But it was uh, something that just kind of got blocked out of my memory. I was looking up in a different part of the the sky and others were looking in a different direction. But I remember just saying, what was that? But I'll tell you, the uh, last thing I saw was interestingly tied to API my husband and I were coming home from D.C. We commuted from D.C. up near Baltimore and we were driving along and it was oh maybe six, seven o'clock at night and it was still pretty clear and light out. And we were driving along the highway and we looked up and said, now, what is that? And there was this platform in the sky that was floating over these uh, highway, this highway system. And there were other cars driving along and uh, it came relatively close, I would say it was, you know, a 1, 1,500 feet away, and it was about six foot, the platform, and it was flat on the bottom and had these kind of black bubbly things on top. I, I can't really describe it, but it almost looks like you could push it or whatever. But what was notable about this object was that it was absolutely silent, and its movement was as if it was driving on an invisible rail. It didn't do like like a balloon would do, and it was absolutely still like that. And it would turn and pivot on its axis, and then it just kind of floated away. Now, Mel and I were standing on the side of the road, and we were going, what's that? What is that? And people were driving by, and we could not get a bearing on what that was. It was so unusual, but its movement was most notable. And I've never seen that before or since. So it goes off, and um, and now Antonio had been in MUFON, and he was part of MUFON, and he had sent out this letter to MUFON members in the Maryland area, and he said, "I'm starting um, investigative group. Anybody in MUFON be interested in that?" And and he said, "No, by the way, and if you've had a sighting, let me know." So I put in a sightings report, and that's how I got to know Antonio. Um, on that report and became part of api up until that time before I began to work for api My experiences had gotten me off kilter and and so I understand when I interact with uh, Witnesses who have become kind of unhinged because they saw something that the mind does not comprehend and it kind of unwraps and you lose your equilibrium and um you really don't have a working BS meter anymore because you saw something that can't be, yet it was. So if you saw something that can't be, then other things you're seeing that can't be could possibly be true. That is not valid, but that's how the mind goes. Now it is upended and it has no equilibrium. So uh, learning to be an investigator from Antonio righted my ship and it allowed me to recalibrate my BS meter. It was all over the place. I would belong to experiencer groups and they would talk about stuff and there was no way to gauge if it was just hokum or if they were mentally ill or if they really saw it, there was no way to gauge it. And so when I started to learn how to bring scientific protocol and an approach with methodology, then I started to get a calibrated meter again and that kind of saved me from myself. And uh, so I would say one of the biggest things in the, UFO field right now is there is a vast majority of people who have no discernment capability. They just don't. They'll see things and assign to it some special uh, meaning. And it's, it's nothing. If you were to look at it with a clear mind and apply some methods, you could clearly show them, no, that isn't the mothership. That is a lens flare, and I can prove it. No, that isn't, you know, um, a flying saucer. That is Venus. And so when you can kind of write the ship, and, and it's, it's whack-a-mole out there on the web. When you read some of these Reddit things, it is whack-a-mole because people are off and running. Oh, my God, when people started seeing um, Starlink, Well, the world was coming to an end. It says they'd never read a headline about this, a headline. I mean, they hadn't read a headline about this. Uh, But so there's just a lot of people who do not have discernment and um, it causes a lot of problems. That's way more problematic, I think, than people who are purposely trying to hoax.
1: Well, the organization is the Aerial Phenomenon Investigation Group or the API team. You have a website. You have some podcasts out there, right? You have the API mm-hmm. Case Files podcast, right, which talks about some of these, uh, some of these cases. But Paul, you also mentioned that you have another podcast out there called The Wow Signal.
2: Oh yeah, it's a bit on, it's it's very much in a hiatus at the moment, but uh, I very much enjoyed that podcast. Um, when my health is better, I hope to start it up again. Um, it's focused on big picture issues, not ufos uh but uh you know sort of the human place in the universe and the search for the scientific search for life in the universe um we did a lot of stuff on tabby star back when that was hot uh but uh i really enjoyed that podcast another one i did that is now definitely defunct which is um the unseen podcast marshall was on that a few times That was a panel. That was a weekly panel thing, uh, which was fun, but drove me crazy and I had to stop after a while. But um, we also
0: have API conversations. There's API API case files, which discusses aspects of multiple cases, two or three at a time. Then there's API conversations, which is a one on one conversation with a guest. And so you go in depth about those. Those are real fun to do too. They're on the
2: same feed. But uh, because I don't want to pay for two feeds (laughs) cheap. But uh, the, um, the, uh, yeah, there's, there's about a total of about 38 episodes between the two.
1: Okay. So it's API case files and API conversations, two separate shows. Correct. Both of these are linked to the API team, aerial phenomena investigations. How can people get in touch with you and your organization? You mentioned the contact form. We mentioned the website, Report
2: a UFO. Are there
1: any other ways, social media? Uh,
2: many ways. Uh, okay. You can, e- if you have something you want to talk about that's private and don't want to discuss it publicly, uh, I have a Proton Mail account. Report a UFO at ProtonMail.com. Um, we'll take sightings at that at that address, but we we'll also take questions or anything else you want to talk about. You can also, uh, on Twitter, uh, API case at API case files. I'm, I'm personally on Twitter at Paul D Carr, but I don't do a lot of UFO stuff on my personal account. We, we have been on Reddit, Facebook and other platforms, but those have become ghost towns, I'm afraid. So, um, kind of decoupling from that, but I'd love to hear from you on Twitter or you can come over at, uh, as you mentioned, our contact form, there's a Contact Us tab on, on the website. And uh, it's very easy. You just fill it out and, and uh, click Send. And you can, if you want, you can leave your email. And we'll get back, I'll get back to you by email if you prefer, or even text if you want to text. So there's lots of ways to get in touch. We also have a hotline. Now, the hotline is for people who really need to urgently get in touch. Because either there's a sighting in progress or something, some other urgent matter. Oh, gosh, give me a second here. Um, I'm going to, I'll say, oh, you can put in the show notes. I'm, I'll, I'll send it to you. In fact, our West Virginia case started out in the hotline. Uh, this couple, they were, they were seeing a lot of things.
1: Oh, here it is. It's right on your, your homepage right here 301 615 0474.
2: Yeah, that's it. I never called the number myself, but <laughs> uh, yeah, you call that number, you can do a voicemail. Uh, and in many cases, I'll just pick up that. That is uh, another way you can reach us if you're more of a telephone person. Uh, you can also text that number. Um, we can receive texts there. So cause I know today's kids don't email. They, they text. <laughs>
1: no, I think this is important. This is really good to have this API hotline number because you're right. A lot of people just text. It's much more convenient, you know, and with all due respect to MUFON, you, you go to their site, you have this long lengthy form that you have to fill out with the National UFO Reporting Center. You call a number, but you guys, you have all of these ways that someone can get in touch with you. That's what also sets you yeah. apart.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. And we try to make it as easy for people as we can. Like, I know I, I got the hotline number because, you know, I gave up trying to email my kids. <laughs> they don't answer their, they don't check their email, you you text them, they'll, you'll, they'll get that right away or you call them, you know? Uh,
1: so I just want to stress this again, because this is important. This is if a sighting is taking place and you want to report it right away, call the number 301-615-0474.
2: That's right. And I may be able to tell you what it is in real time. I can't promise that, but uh, I might be able to tell you. That's amazing. Um, Now, if somebody calls that
0: number, remind them that they should try to get the names of people standing around them. Because if they say they saw that and it was in a crowd, if they can get the telephone numbers at least of two or three other people, that is so important. Corroboration is everything in this. One person seeing something uh, and reporting it is far different than than three or four seeing the same thing and reporting it. So if somebody's calling on that hotline because something is in progress, get names, get numbers, get directions, what what direction they're looking, where they're standing, all that information is very important, paramount.
1: The more information you have, the more data that you gather, the more helpful it's going to be to this organization. So. Yes. Get as much as you can. You can never have too much information.
2: You know, every few years we get that one really amazing case, you know, that you really want to sink your teeth into. Not that the other cases we get are, are bad. It's just that uh, when you get a lot of information, that's really a lot of data from from the uh, witness and perhaps of corroborating witnesses, video, other, you know, things, like animal effects, things like that, you know, it's, it's all good.
1: Yeah. Well, that, you know, that, that really interesting case, even if it's once a year, still, that's one interesting case. We'll have to have it come back and talk about that case. So many more, we didn't even get a chance to get in, you know, get into all of these extraordinary cases, some of these amusing cases, but you can read all of this on their website report a ufo.org. You can find them on social media. You can reach out to them with this hotline number 301-615-0474. That's 301-615-0474. Or you can submit a report to the, through the online contact form at ReportaUFO.org. The API case files podcast, the API conversations podcast, you're there, you're accessible. And this is amazing. Marsha and Paul are, are sympathetic because they've been in your shoes and they are here to help. They are some of the best investigators I've ever met and their heads are in the right place with this mystery. And I wanna thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me tonight.
2: Well, thanks Justin, it's been fun.
0: It was a pleasure, Justin, we'll see you again.
1: You have been listening to Terror Signals with Justin Bamforth and presented by Normal Paranormal. For more on this show and other topics of high strangeness, please visit normalparanormal.org or visit the program website at terrasignals.com.